Hey everyone, this is Brian Ferguson. If you're listening to this, then I know you enjoy the Bumps and Thumps podcast. In order to continue to get the guests on and improve our podcast, we need support from listeners like you. That financial support helps us continue to do the podcast and get guests on that we normally would not be able to get on the show. Please go to anchor.fm forward slash Brian, B-R-I-A-N dot Ferguson, F-E-R-G-U-S-O-N and the number three after and click on the support button. There will be options there for you to make a monthly contribution. With your contribution, we can continue to conduct the podcast and ask more well-known wrestlers from the past and present that require financial compensation to be on the podcast. Again, please go to anchor.fm forward slash Brian, B-R-I-A-N dot Ferguson, F-E-R-G-U-S-O-N and the number three and click on the support button. Thank you for listening to the podcast and thank you for your support. Thank you for joining another edition of Bumps and Thumps, the talk of wrestling. I'm your host, Brian Ferguson. My guest today is a legend in the tag team division. He started in pro wrestling in the grueling class of 1972 of Vern Gagne's wrestling camp with legends like Greg Gagne, Ric Flair, Ken Patera, the Iron Sheik, and Bob Bruggers. He wrestled in the American Wrestling Association from 1972 until 1985. While competing in the AWA, he teamed up with Greg Gagne, where they were known as the High Flyers, and won the AWA World Tag Team Championship on two different occasions and were voted Tag Team of the Year in 1982 by the fans of Pro Wrestling Illustrated. In 1985, Jim signed with the WWF and teamed up with B. Brian Blair to form the Killer Bees. He continued to wrestle in the independent circuits until he retired from the ring in 1999. Ladies and gentlemen, it is my pleasure to welcome one half of the legendary High Flyers and Killer Bees, Jumpin' Jim Brunzel. Jim, thank you for taking time out of your busy schedule to be on Bumps and Thumps. My pleasure, Brian. I like that. I like the name, but Bumps and Thumps. <laughs> I had to come up with something original, you know. Yeah, a lot of those man. names are taken, so. Yeah, it sounds pretty apropos. <laughs> All right, well, I'd like to get into first about uh, you growing up. Uh, your family life as a child and schooling. So you, I, I read your book, Matt Lands. Great yep. book, by the way. Great book. Thank you. Uh, easy read. Uh, I was telling my wife, you know, I like all the pictures. Guys like pictures. A couple pages, then you get some pictures, which is <laughs> nice. So it's it's an easy read. It's a good read. Uh, so just tell us a little bit, if you could, about your uh, growing up and your family life and your schooling. Well, I was born, uh, my mom and dad were <clears throat> local St. Paul, uh, Minnesota kids. And my dad was a, a naval pilot and he was a career Navy man. So in our early, in my early life, I, I have a sister who's two years older than me, Kathy. And we traveled all over. I mean, we, I was out in um, the Marshall Islands in 1955 in uh, what they call Kwajalein Atoll. And uh, it was right now it's a Nike Zeus uh, missile uh, base. But at that time, um, the Navy used it as a, 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 a base for uh, air sea rescue in the South Pacific. 
okay. Marshall and Mariana Island. So we're out there for a year and then I went to California, lived there for a year, uh, wound up uh, living in Memphis, Tennessee in 1958. Uh, that's wow. where I saw Elvis Presley. And I told my dad, I said, I want to be just like him. <laughs> yeah. And I freaked my dad out. So he took me to the music store a couple weeks later and he bought me an accordion. <laughs> <laughs> so needless to say, I uh, replaced the accordion with a football and I, I um, focused all my attentions on sports. So, you know, we moved back to uh, Minnesota and, and I think it was 59. I went to... Uh, uh, St. Jude's parochial uh, Catholic grade school. And then I went to uh, uh, Hill High School for two years and I transferred to White Bear Lake. I played football, basketball, hockey, uh, baseball, and track. And then at White Bear, I um, just played uh, football, uh, basketball, and track. Uh, I was two, uh, indoor and outdoor state uh, high jump champ. Uh, I was pretty successful on the football field and uh, our team on the basketball team uh, fell one game short of making it to the state tournament in 1967. So uh, I was uh, blessed to have a lot of good athletes uh, with me at White Bear High School. And then from there, I wanted to play college football and um, wanted to be a golfer. So I walked on and um, that was 1967. And, and that's where I met Greg Gagne. Yeah. Uh, he was a walk-on quarterback from Mound, Minnesota. And he and I actually teamed up pretty good together and we became fast friends. And, and that's where I met Vern and this went on and, and uh, Greg wasn't going to play quarterback at the university of Minnesota. So he transferred to Wyoming mm -hmm. and then we didn't see each other again until um, actually after my uh, senior year at the university of Minnesota, I played a year of, of um, semi-pro football in Manitowoc, Wisconsin. Ah. And then from there I had a, a, an invitation to go to the Washington Redskin. They had a three-day tryout, rookie tryout camp. And I went there, didn't make it, <clears throat> came back and thought I was going to go to school and mm -hmm. finish. I had like 31, degree, uh, 31 credits, mm -hmm. make up, get my degrees. So lo and behold, shortly <laughs> before that, Greg calls me and he says, hey, my dad's having a wrestling camp with Ken Patera. And he wants to know if you want to try. And I thought, geez, Greg. I said, <laughs> the only wrestling I did was intramurals. And he said, ah, don't worry about it. So yeah. uh, I took a chance and I thought, well, it's something athletic. And and um, little did I know if somebody would have asked me when I was 18 years old, Brian, if I would have spent 25 years being a pro wrestler, I thought I would have told them they were crazy. Yeah. So that, that's what happened. And, you know, we, we had this camp and I it was a real – tough camp and it, I think it was like uh 10 I think eight or ten weeks long and it was it was like four to six hours a day and it was mm -hmm. like five days a week and Vern and Billy Robinson just you know they we we did calisthenics and all different sorts of things but I remember we used to do these Hindu free squats which was a deal of Billy Robinson's and we got up to doing a thousand free squats a day, oh. 10 sets of a hundred. And yeah. my legs, I mean, I felt like I could jump up and touch the top of the barn. My legs were so big and powerful. <laughs> then. You know, it was unbelievable. And then uh, uh, shortly, I think uh, in December of 1972, I had a match with Dennis Stamp 
mm. in, um, I think it was Moorhead, Minnesota, and it was a 15 minute draw. Okay. And I came in, I was so frustrated because I just, you know, I didn't know what the hell I was doing. And, <laughs> and I, I remember I kicked this trash can and Dusty Rhodes was there and Dusty sort of looked at me, you know, and Dusty had a little bit of a lisp and he said, Jimmy, he said, don't worry, you'll have a lot of stinkers. <laughs> a little bit I know he was correct. So, so that, you know, and from then on, I mean, when you're a, a pro wrestler, I mean, it's, uh, it was some matter of fact, they sent me to Kansas city and I wrestled with Mike George. Okay. Yeah. And, in uh, the summer of 73 in the 70, yeah, 73 in the 74. And Mike and I were the central States tag team champions. Okay. And we wrestled Roger Kirby and um, Lord Alfred Hayes. And uh, I remember, uh, what's his name? Bob Orton senior was there uh -huh. and uh, Danny little, Danny little something or other, but Bob Geigel and Pat O'Connor were the, promoters. So I was there for a little bit and then uh, uh, it was time to bring me back and uh, I started you know back in late 74 with Greg mm -hmm. in the AWA. Yeah now I'll tell you uh, when I was a kid I can remember watching you guys with your tie-dye trunks and I'll tell you a quick story. Uh, my dad he, he absolutely, I don't know if you talked to Greg lately, but I told him the same story that he was, he would not, if he was in the room, he would not let us allow, allow us to watch wrestling. So my mom and my grandma knew I really enjoyed it. <clears throat> so they would distract him by, Hey, can you do this or whatever? <laughs> and so then they turn the channel cause you didn't have cable back then. It was, you know, antenna. Uh, so I'd go and watch it. And then if he started coming back in, they try to distract him a little bit, or I'd go to my grandma's house, my grandma, you know, you know, grandmas, they, they'll do whatever you want pretty much. And <laughs> I just loved it. Uh, you know, you watching you and Greg, uh, wrestling and just the whole show itself was just great. I really enjoyed it. Um, you know, that's what I think is a lot is missing today is the, the storylines, the, you know, what, what the, the buildup of the, well, of there is the, no storylines now, right? You know, really. I mean, and I don't want to be too critical of, you know, what I see on TV. I don't watch it very much anymore, but right. uh, I want to tell you, we have something in common because my mom and dad wouldn't let me watch wrestling on TV either <laughs> because it inter interfered with uh, Lawrence Welk. You know? <laughs> so that was their favorite, that and Gunsmoke. So I, that was right during the AWA, you know, <laughs> time. So I, I couldn't watch it. But, uh, yeah, um, it was, you know, uh, getting into wrestling and then, you know, being in the AWA and, yeah. and seeing all these stars and, and um, learning uh, really uh, the business the way yeah. I think it should be. And everybody who was in the AWA, I mean, those guys were so incredibly talented. I mean, yeah. I'd been to, you know, I'd wrestled in Kansas City and I, and they had some talent there. You know, Jack Briscoe used to come in and Terry Funk used to come in and Dory Funk used to come in and Harley was there, Harley Race. And then in 79, I went down to North Carolina for a year and a half mm -hmm. and Ricky Steamboat and Ric Flair. And I mean, they had a, 
Jimmy Snuka, and uh, they had some great talent there. But when you think of the talent that was in Minneapolis, holy smoke. And the great thing about Minneapolis, Brian, was he had time off. Yeah. I mean, because, you know, seasonal, you know, we had a horrible winter here. And people, Vern realized that people didn't want to go inside during the summer. So, right. you know, we only worked 10 to 12 times during June, July, and August. Yeah. Whereas in, you know, Carolina and Kansas City and New York, you work seven days a week. Yeah. You know, it was just unbearable. Yeah, I can. Yeah. I want to talk about that a little bit more with you. Uh, the, you know, you said you didn't wrestle before. So when you went to that camp um, and you talked about the calisthenics and stuff, and I, and, and what was the process for you? Like, with, I mean, did you, I know that I know I've heard the story about Ric Flair quitting the first day or whatever. Did you ever think about, you know, I don't know if this is for me. Anything well, like I, that? Knew, I knew I, I, I was a pretty fair athlete and yeah. I thought, you know, if, um, if I could withstand, you know, them like Billy Robinson would hurt you. I mean, mm -hmm. he would, he would, you know, he was a king of submission and he'd hook you every which way and, <laughs> you know, may make you yell. And I figured, well, if I can get by him, yeah. you know, I can do it because see, they, it was funny because Vern and Billy, what they did was they never smartened you up. So you didn't know anything about the inner connections or how wrestling worked. They, so we're sitting there all the way up until just about a week before we're going to have our first match thinking, well, <laughs> this is this and this is that. And, you know, deep in the back, you think, well, something's got to be. And then finally, you know, uh, they, they broke the news to us. And then, uh, um, you know, like uh, Vern says, well, you're in the ring and you protect your, your opponent and your opponent protects you. Mm -hmm. So that was basically what um, we tried to do every night right. for years. And then the real art of it is to make it look as real as possible, which it was real. Right. And, and then you paint that, that uh, little hesitation in people's minds say, geez, you know, I don't know, you know? And so, you know, I, I was very fortunate, Yeah. you know, and I didn't, I didn't really have any really bad injuries, except I, I uh, wound up getting a, a staph infection from playing in a celebrity softball game. And yeah. I was out six weeks and they actually took our belts away. And I was going to ask you about that. Can you kind of yeah. elaborate on what happened with that? Well, we, we were playing a celebrity um, softball tournament. And we were playing, great. We were playing, we were playing a hockey team in Philadelphia was there and it was a big fundraiser for something. And we played the Vikings and uh, we played, we didn't play any, the baseball we're, we're playing then, but we played uh, Philadelphia Flyers and the Vikings and somebody else. And we wound up winning the tournament. We won the thing. <laughs> and I, I was playing uh, third base and I, I went to dive for a ball. And I, I like a numbskull, it was hot that day and I wore shorts. So I had a big raspberry on the side of my, uh, outside of my shin. And... I didn't think anything of it. You know, I just put water on it. And then that afternoon we went swimming in a pool and a day and a half later, I, my leg swelled and I, I didn't feel too good. And I went to the doctor and they says, 
geez, you got a staph infection. So I had, I don't know, two or three shots every day of uh, penicillin. And then uh, this doctor says, you can't, you know, you can't wrestle. So oh. they, they worked to deal with Vern and then Vern says, well, Jim and Greg are going to have to, you know, give up their belts. And they had a little deal. And somewhere down the line, we wrestled yeah. whoever it was. I think it might've been uh, Jack Lambs and Bobby Duncombe who had won the tournament and, and then we wound up beating them. So okay. they, you know, for everything that happens, there's always a way to uh, incorporate it into the storyline. Okay. Well, that's interesting. Cause I, I always thought you broke your leg. Nope. No, you did not break your leg. So there nope. we go. We got some clarification. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Hey, I'd like to get into, if I could, uh, your travel experiences, guys you traveled with, mm-hmm. kind of any interesting or odd <laughs> stories oh, you gosh. may have? Well, uh, you know, I've had people read my book and say, Jim, yeah. you're lucky you're alive. Yeah, I've read it. And that's <laughs> yeah, true. Because there was times, you know, like when we, you know, Vern had this small plane, this 59919er and this ex-Air Force pilot would fly through, you know, he'd fly through thunderstorms and poor Bobby Heenan and I'd sit in the back <laughs> and we'd drink a box of wine on the way to the matches because we were petrified, you know. Yeah. I remember <laughs> I remember one time, this is the honest to gospel truth, this guy wouldn't deviate a mile and a half from two points and he'd fly on the side of the, you know, these thunderstorms. And we'd hit this updraft and we go up, you know, about, you know, we, we only could fly at 6,500, you know, feet because it wasn't pressurized. And I think 8,000 was the cap. And all of a sudden, boom, we go up to about 9,000. Then we go back down and Bobby Heenan would just be sucking on that wine. And then he'd say, oh, Jesus, and we'd be holding. And then I, I'll never forget, this was something that happened on the way back from Denver. We're flying back and we had a headwind and it was just, and we're running out of gas. And um, yeah, so we, the only place that we could stop was this um, Air Force base. And I think it was in South Dakota and it had a real long runway because that's, that's the only, because it was foggy and this allowed us to land. So here it was, it's a (laughs) secured base. So we come in and land, and we uh, taxied over, and we pulled over, and, and two Jeeps came, and these guys had, you know, machine guns. They were <laughs> military guys. So we opened we, we opened up the door, and this guy comes in, and Bobby was drunk, Heenan, and he says, take me to your leader. <laughs> and the guy says, shut up. <laughs> you know, I'll ask the question. So that was one little incident, and then uh, – Cripe, we we were flying that damn thing, and then uh, Roy Bradley, the pilot, forgot when he checked the oil, he forgot to put screw the oil cap on, and we were flying oh, at about six thousand feet, and the right wing was c- completely covered in oil. It oh, had sucked no. the oil out, so we had to have a, a emergency landing. I can't remember if it was Moline. We were going to Peoria, oh, and no. it was just one thing after another, and I remember. Pompero Furpo, we, we were talking and we had a meeting and talking about the plane and Vern, you know, here's the, here's the ironic thing of it. Vern had this plane and what he would do, he, he would take money off the top. Say for instance, it cost a thousand dollars to fly the plane to Denver. 
-hmm. So he'd take $1,000 off the top of Denver for the plane expense. And then he'd take $100 out of each one of our checks for flying on the plane. Oh. So he had a double duke. So he was making money. And then I found out that he had every seat insured on that on that plane for a million dollars and he was a benefactor oh no so i told my wife i said if we ever go down in the plane i said sue for a million bucks because that's what he's got on my head so wow. you know Vern was always the ultimate uh businessman and yeah and he 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 always felt that he was getting cheated <laughs> uh, yeah i've heard that i've yeah. heard that from I bet you didn't hear it from Greg, though. <laughs> no, I did not. No. No, well, you know, it's his father. Yeah, of course not. That's right. <laughs> Who would think? Yeah. <laughs> well, let's talk a little bit about chemistry. I know you, um, chemistry with, you know, you had obviously with Greg and B. Brian Blair, but maybe some other guys in the ring that you worked with. Did you ever have, you know, like, did you feel like oh, this is a guy I've always, I could work with? Oh gosh, there was there was a lot of guys like that. Mm-hmm. I, I I was very fortunate because uh, Nick Bockwinkel was incredible. Oh God, he was great, and and uh, there was so many guys. Bobby Orton Jr. Yeah. Uh, was incredible. Uh, there was so many guys. Rick Steamboat was incredible. Yeah. I I mean, there was so many guys that that uh, really were incredible. Mm-hmm. You know, I- talents. Yeah. And and it, and it was funny because it was a given in the AWA because everybody knew their situation. So when every night you'd have a hell of a match, whereas when you went to New York, I mean, everybody was trying to fight for and nobody wanted to give anything. And it was just like pulling teeth. It was. And then I, I and God rest his soul. I, I hate to mention this, but probably the worst a uh, person I ever worked with, there was two people who were really harder in hell. One was Cosro, the Iron Schnook, I call him. <laughs> and, I like it. <laughs> yeah, and then the other, God rest his soul, was Jim Neidhart. Oh, yeah? Okay. He was a he was a baby bull, you know. He was 5'9 and 270, and he was wired all the time. Yeah. And he was impossible yeah. in the ring to work with. He just, he was, you know... 99 miles an hour. And then, you know, he was so afraid. I got to tell you what happened. He, I told him, I said, Jim, don't be afraid of my drop kick. It's stiff. But I said, if you put your hand up by your face, yeah. when you come off the ropes, you know, it'll hit your hand and just, you know, take a bump. So time for me to throw the drop kick. I throw him in. And as I th- I'm up in the air and I go to extend my feet, he pulls away from me and he falls down and the heel of my boot hit him right underneath the eye and put a big gouge in his eye oh, and it started to bleed and he got up and he was filling the uh, air with left hooks and oh man <laughs> i said brett get in here right now Brett hard <laughs> yeah <laughs> and and he was just you know he was he was just hard too hard to work with and i yeah. i know that you know he um he had some you know some personal problems and substance abuse and yeah and uh it was just too bad because uh, there was a good side of him but yeah it was just it was just so hard to work with yeah what about working with uh the, the road wires you know i watched the match the other day with you and greg versus them two and i've heard horrible, yeah. horrible. 
that's what I've you know and and I realize you know Joe and Mike God rest his soul they had their place in this business mm -hmm. and they were formed by Ole Anderson okay. and Ole Anderson who was down in Atlanta at yeah. that time got them together and made them into the image and likeness that he would picture himself to be somebody who was physically, you know, intimidating as hell, right. could talk, and then went in the ring. Not only could he talk what he was going to do, but then go in the ring and beat the shit out of you. Yeah. And, and that's the way the Road Warriors were. Yeah. And I remember Joe saying, we're the greatest tag team in all the world ever. And I says, well, I said, Joe, I said, it's easy to be that way when you go out and tell you're going to beat the shit out of somebody and do it every yeah. night after night after night after night and yeah. don't sell, you know? Yeah. So yeah, we had a couple matches with them and yeah, it was, look, oh. they look pretty rough on. Uh, oh, well, I remember Mike says, Hey, Jimmy he says, I'm not going to take a bump on your drop kick. And I said, okay, I won't take a bump on your, on your uh, clothesline. Oh right. yeah. And I said, yeah, you know, yeah. <laughs> you know, they just, yeah. You know, they made a lot of money and yeah. I see Joe at the shows and, and um, you know, they had their place, but I certainly wouldn't say they were the greatest tag team of all time. Yeah, they're pretty rough around the edge. I mean, I loved them as a kid, you know, because when I was a kid, you know, they'd go in and kick they the crap out, the out, out of you. Crap, yeah, kick the crap out of everybody. They hurt you. They yeah. didn't care. Yeah. That, you, know, you know, as I'm older now, I realize that those guys are pretty rough, and I'm sure yeah. a lot of wrestlers didn't care to work with much, them too much. Yeah, very much. Now they're the same what Brock Lesnar is today. Brock, who I I met when he was a junior in, in college. Yeah, real, real <laughs> nice kid. Yeah. Now he gets in there. He he just beats the daylights out of these guys, yeah. and he doesn't care about. You know, he flips them around, throws them around. He doesn't care if he hurts them. And, and and that bothers me because those guys have put, you know, him over for the past, you know, 10, 15 years. Yeah. And it's through their grace that he's accomplished what he has. Yeah. You know, because I, I guarantee you, Brian, no matter how tough you are in any sport, yeah. you're always going to meet somebody. And it's funny because – I talk about Haku, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know? And, and, I mean, he he straightened out everybody. I mean, nobody ever gave him guff because he'd bite their nose off. <laughs> he wouldn't care who you were. He would. Yeah. We were we were in a bar in Cleveland, and it was this slaughter, this slaughter who was a wide receiver for the Cleveland Browns mm -hmm. at a bar. And we were in there. It was Brian Blair and myself. And Haku, and I, I think there was somebody else. And there was four offensive linemen that were from the uh, Browns there, and they were sitting, in, and, and we were sitting at the bar, and you could hear them, aha, that phony wrestling, blah, 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 you know. <laughs> so Haku, <laughs> Haku was drinking cognac with a, a, a Coke chaser. Mm -hmm. So he's had about four of them, and he says, ah. So he puts down the coke, he walks up to the table, and these guys are big, you know. I mean, they're, yeah. they're all close to 300 pounds. And he says, fellas, he says, we're at the bar having a good time. I know you guys want to have a good time. And he says, but I want to tell you this. He says, if I hear any more shit about wrestling, there's going to be trouble. 
Mm-hmm. And he looked at them, and they didn't say a word. <laughs> he went back, went back. That was silent. They didn't say one thing. And I thought, oh, God, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> because wow. he was a, he was a, oh, yeah. Ooh. Yeah, I've heard. If you, if you offended him, I mean, you paid almost with your life. Yeah. I mean, he, he, he jammed his, his thumb in uh, Jesse Barr's eye in, in Canada and th- that was it for Jesse Barr. He was done. Yeah. Wow. And I mean, you know, and he, he, he bit a guy, bit a guy's nose off <laughs> in a fight. Yeah. Good there were four Lord. of them. Yeah. He, he cuffed one guy with a, a chop and hit another guy in the side of the neck and the other guy started to get up. He dove across the table and bit the end of the guy's nose off and spit it in his face. And the guy <laughs> went into shock. And I think it cost, I think, he he told me that he had had lawsuits five to se- five to seven hundred thousand dollars. Oh my Against him, wow! For fights, wow! Yeah, he was the he one was, you. Yeah, you don't want to mess with him. Oh God, no. you, you're the you're not the only one. I've I mean, Greg talked about him on our oh. podcast, and I've heard oh. when I listen to other podcasts, they say you don't mess with Haku. I think Harley Race was another one they I've heard. Well, Harley was different in that, that, you know, he would, uh, he had a, le- a pretty good left hook. I mean, the, the toughest guys that I, you know, Haku and then Dickie Slater, okay. um, who passed away a number of years ago, he was a, oh God, could he throw a left? And um, there was a couple guys, but uh, still Haku by far. Yeah. Wow. Amazing. And he's a, he's a great family guy, great dad, and I see him, you know, and he and I see him a couple times, and he's just, you know, he he was six three, two hundred ninety five pounds, and he could he could kick his right leg up almost parallel, you know, perpendicular to the just whoom like a split, you know. Yeah. Wow. I remember I worked with him in Japan, Brian. Yeah. He was eighteen years old, and I, you know you don't, don't know what's going on. Nobody was communicating. I, I, I came off the ropes and he hit me in the head with the drop kick and damn near knocked me out. And I said to him, I'm supposed to give those to you. That's funny. I was going to talk to you about that. So wrestling, um, you know, it's all today, pretty much all choreographed, choreographed. Pretty, predetermined, <laughs> whatever. Now, Everything. yeah. So, you know, even how you talk and how you oh. do your interviews and all that. And I know, and I talking to Greg last time, on our last podcast, he said it wasn't anything like that. Uh, you guys went out, you said what you said. It was from your mind, uh, you know, your matches, you, you know, pretty much, you know, I, I, I asked him about that. I said, did you guys ever talk to your opponents prior uh, to your match? Hey, this is what we're kind of looking at doing. And, and he said, no, not really. And I just wanted to get your perspective on that. I mean, did you ever, I mean, I say predetermined, but I'm saying, you know, hey, at this point, I might give you a drop kick, so be prepared or something like that. Yes. Okay. The whole match was planned. Okay. I mean, here's what happened. The the most important part of the match is the finish. Mm -hmm. So what precedes the finish builds the match. Right. So what you have is you have a series of the baby face getting over on the heel and then finally, the heel can't cope with it, so he falls the baby face. So he, in turn, 
is following the baby face and gaining more heat with the crowd. Mm -hmm. So then when the baby face makes the big comeback, that's when you go into the finish. So the most important thing is the finish. So, you know, and a lot of the times, um, and the most important finish for a heel is not to beat the baby face one, two, three. The heel's got to foul the baby face. He's got to do something. He's got to put his foot on the rope, one, two, three. He's got to jab him in the throat or poke him in the eye because if he beats the baby face, one, two, three, with a wrestling move, yeah. What I mean, that's the end of the story. He got right. the baby face who is supposed to be better scientifically right. against the heel. If he gets and, and that used to drive me crazy with Vince because he used to be I remember the last year I was there and yeah. I needed the work. He yeah. he made me do jobs, yeah. you know, for a number of guys and I was really oh God, I was really it hurt me so bad, but I had to do it because yeah. you know, I needed the money. Right, and I remember I, I they had me on TV, and I, I was Randy Savage, and he had Scary Sherry, and you can look <laughs> this match up. He, we had a hell of a match, and I remember the first series I, I had his arm, and he, I, it, something happened, and he comes off the rope, and I hit him in the mouth with the drop kick, and he came up spitting blood, and I thought, oh boy, here we go, <laughs> and and, um. It was a heck of a match. And I remember, uh, I'm trying to think of what, what TV it was, but I remember going out of the ring and walking through the curtain. Randy was there and Vince McMahon came up to us and he said, that was the best TV match I've ever seen. Oh, wow. And I'm sure he was just blowing smoke up my ass, but it, it was sort of nice because I thought it was too. It was a good match. And um, I, I recommend that match uh, occasionally oh, when, you know, um, Randy was, you know, he, he was excellent in the ring too. Yeah. Uh, it was just too bad, you know, he died so young. Ooh. Yeah, it was a, had a heart attack, right? And then yep. crashed his vehicle. Yeah, that's, yep. yeah. Now I heard with Randy, uh, I, you know, great person. I, I, but I heard that he had to have everything very detailed prior to like he said we're going to do this a b c d e f g and if it didn't go that way he got a little upset is that did you ever experience that or no well i think he was pretty easy to work with because um uh you know he was his old man was a hell of a worker too yep. and um you know his brother too was good and then you know i mean when you come you know second generation and i think See, Randy was very conscious of being taken advantage of. Mm -hmm. And he had seen that, you know, he wrestled down in Memphis and down in Nashville and Kentucky, you know, where, they, <laughs> I mean, they're not noted for being real honest down there in, in, in terms of their booking and, and what have you. And, and I think um, Randy's upbringing, you know, with his dad, his dad told him never to trust nobody, you know, period. Yeah. And I think Randy approached everything in the world that way. And, and you know something? He never bought anything on credit. He paid oh, wow. cash for everything. Bought a condo down in Largo, paid cash. He had a, a, this little a Cimarron Cadillac. I don't know. I think it was like 40-some thousand. Paid cash for it. Oh, wow. And then when he was on the road, he and Elizabeth and uh, his brother would share a room. 
you know, <laughs> to cut down on an expense oh, and then yeah. they'd have a pizza, you know, and he never drank. I think he, he might've smoked a little bit, but I never saw him, you know, he was, yeah. you know, wow. saved a lot of money. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's, that's interesting. See, I learned something new here today about the macho man. So let's talk about some of the guys, you know, you said you did some jobs. So yep. let's talk about jobbers that you worked with that in the AWA and WWE that, that put you over. Uh, I remember uh, Kenny J. I remember uh, Tom Rocky Stone, those guys. Sure. Yep. Jake the Snake, or Jake the Milkman. Jake the Milkman Milliman. Yeah. 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 Well, see, those guys are so important uh, to have because they build the show, Mm -hmm. you know, and occasionally the promotion would have a, you know, a big match on TV, but there was nothing decided in that match, whether it be, you know, some outside interference or the guy take off. So they build it for the show Mm -hmm. that they were promoting. But you know, you couldn't, you needed somebody in the ring, you know, that knew what he was doing and could make you look good, yeah. you know, and that was the, that was the whole deal with TV yeah. wrestling. And they, they've shied away from that now, you know, to the point where, you know, I mean, there's, there's hardly any finishes that I see. Yeah. And then, you know, I see guy comes into the ring and he grabs a microphone. Then the other guy runs into the ring, grabs a microphone, and then, they another guy comes in and jumps him and then another and you know and I just study and I see these you know six and eight man tag matches and I think oh my god yeah I was going to ask you about that uh you know I'm uh, you know I'm almost 50 and I've seen a, a huge shift in the television production it's a lot of you know before you had you know who you knew who Jake the milkman milliman was was he going to lose yes probably 99 percent of the time mm-hmm. but you know who he was uh you know the mulkey brothers down in uh, georgia during the 80s mulkey mania they had that for a while and, and now it's just it's very hard for somebody at a mid-card or, or level to get recognized i mean because they're not on tv uh, it's all main event guys. Uh, right. They slap the mic. Like you said, they slap the mic in their, in their hand. And then there's another guy comes out. That's the main eventer. And I think that's hurt the business. I don't know what, you know, I, I don't, I haven't watched it as much lately either. And that's just because there's not fans there. There's not that cr- crowd charisma. You know, you get into mm-hmm. the crowd. I mean, you know, I've never wrestled, but I've been to events and the wrestlers, in the ring feed off of the crowd exactly and, and you yeah. don't have that now you got cut out cardboard and audio um, and it's just not the same they don't look they don't look comfortable they don't look excited um i just think nowadays i mean i mean you can elaborate too uh that it's not it's not much of a build of a show anymore it's you know who's gonna win um there's no chance <laughs> See, Vince's whole idea, his concept of pro wrestling was totally, he wanted to put the old style wrestling completely out of it. And he wanted to uh, project his wrestling as superstars. Mm-hmm. So this, this is what he did. He projected a group of guys that were superstars that he could <laughs> take and uh, monetize 
in terms of, uh, you know, whatever, T-shirts, dolls, everything. And then that's where, that's where his, his wealth came from. I remember, I mean, Hulk Hogan, Terry Bollea, this was during 80, probably 84, 85, 86. And um, his wife, Linda, was telling us he was making $50,000 a week in royalties Holy every cow. week, 50 grand Wow! every week. And then he was getting a million for pay-per-view. So at that time there was four or five, yeah. five. Wow. And then he was getting 12% of the gate when he wrestled. So here's what happened. I, and I have this someplace and, and it's a sports illustrated and it had Hulk Hogan on a big facial picture of him. And it said, America's top banana, highest paid athlete, $10 million he wow. made in a year in 1985. That's big buddy. That was huge. <laughs> yeah. And, and, uh, you know, he was the golden goose though. They couldn't have done it without him. And, right. uh, uh, he, and the great thing about Terry was that he could work. I used yeah. to watch him in Japan. God, he'd get down. He, he, you know, for a guy six, six and 300 pounds, yeah. he could get uh, roll around on the guy and, and do all sorts of, you know, wrestling maneuvers that, you know, he, he, he worked with Anuki and I mean, you know, and then finally, you know, when he, <laughs> when he got to the WWE, he realized, God, all I have to do is, you know, do this and do that. And and the next yeah. thing you know, the, the people were eating out of his hand and, yeah. you know, he was just, he was incredible. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he, I, as a kid, he was one of my favorite guys. I mean, I ain't gonna lie. I used to have that. I used to have that poster of him flexing his muscles. Um, so yeah, I mean, he's, he's quite a, quite a person, quite a wrestler. Uh, working with, uh, up and coming talent. So I'm sure you worked with some guys that, you know, when you were a main eventer that you had to, is there anybody that sticks out to you now that maybe was a up and coming and then became a main eventer with you working with you? Uh, um, well, n- not really because, mm-hmm. um, the talent, you know, is, is so drastic from, um, the AWA, everybody, you know, there was only like 12 guys and everybody knew their positions. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, they would interchange, you know, maybe out of those 12 guys, four to six guys on main event, you know, during the course of the week at different towns. And uh, there there were guys, though, that, that I saw in the ring that had a lot of potential. Mm-hmm. And uh, they just hadn't come, you know, come into their own yet. And you know, um, it's, it's hard to point out. They had a couple guys, uh, Jimmy Powers, Paul mm-hmm. Roma, yeah. um, you know, who l- looked the part and, uh, yeah. and to be honest with you, I, 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 you know, Shawn Michaels, um, was a natural and he was, he was really undersized really for, yeah. you know, doing what he did. But uh, he, you know, he, he was very good in the ring. And I had a hell of a match with him in Madison, Wisconsin on TV. Can't remember what year it was. 
but geez, we had a hell of a match and he was fun to work with. And um, another guy, <laughs> uh, another guy who I, I sort of lost respect for um, in that he had, he had been a journeyman um, in his early career. And then he wound up uh, having a hell of a spot in the WWE. And that was Ted DiBiase when okay. they made him a million dollar man. Million dollar man, so yeah. The million dollar man with Virgil was supposed to be uh, Jim Crockett and Dusty Rhodes. That was a oh. million dollar man with Virgil Reynolds. So it was a parody that Vince uh -huh. put together. So uh, Teddy, you know, this was really the first time Teddy, I mean, Ted was a good worker. Yeah. And he had struggled in Louisiana and Oklahoma and Texas. And all of a sudden, you know, he comes to um, New York and they gave him a hell of a run. So I remember we wrestled in Omaha, Nebraska, and Omaha was a big you know, AWA town. And I had, a, yeah. you know, a nice following there. Right. So we were supposed to have a match and he was supposed to get by me on slip, you know, something and boom, beat me. Yeah. And during the course of the match, I was supposed to have a comeback. Well, out of the clear blue sky, all of a sudden he says, forget the comeback. And then he goes to beat me after he, he beat me to the ground for eight to 10 minutes. And oh. then he covered me to be, I was, Furious. I mean, I came about that close to ever having a locker room fight, and it would have been with him. Oh, wow. And I was so upset with him. And to this day, um, I, I tell him about it. And he goes, <laughs> you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then I just found out, you know, that he and his son got in trouble uh, cashing $2 million worth of uh, charitable money organization, getting a grant. Did you hear that? I From heard something. Steel? I I know. Wow. No, I I, I thought it was something else, but that's probably it. I thought it was counterfeiting or something. But you're probably no, no. It was it was taking money, um, and they were a you know nonprofit organization, and they had asked for money uh, for some something, and they got like two million dollars, and I think they indicted oh this God. kid. Oh no. Wow. I think I'm thinking of the counterfeiting. I think it was Blackjack Mulligan and uh, mm. Barry Windham. That was years ago. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Wow. That's, that's too bad. Um, yeah. Wow. All right. Well, let's talk about managers. Okay. <laughs> Move on a little bit. So, you know, we, you discussed Bobby Heenan a little bit. Yeah. Um, the greatest. Yeah. That's, no comparison. Nobody. Nobody yeah. can compare with, uh, you know, I, Jimmy Hart, not even a, a hair on the back of Bobby's neck. Yeah. How about Lord L. Hayes? Uh, Lord L. Hayes was a great commentator, and he had that, that um, what would you call it, that air of uh, nobility mm -hmm. that he interjected so well. Yeah. And uh, he, I remember him, you know, working um, in Kansas City, and then he came to Minneapolis for a little bit, and then he actually worked in the office at the WWE for 20 years, you know, oh, wow. behind the scenes. And he, he was, you know, he was great. And, and you know, he was a baby face to begin with. And then right. he, he didn't, uh, he had all that um, Wigan style, uh, Billy Robinson and, and Les Thornton and Jeff Ports, that in and out type of, you know, wrestling that was so incredible to watch, you know. Yeah. 
And um, yeah, he was good. Um, but, you know, Bobby was so, I remember one time, Bobby, he had four or five people that he walked out, you know, with, the, on, you know, in WrestleMania yeah. three, he, I, he had yeah, Andre and he had a couple other people and he was mm-hmm. just so, and, you know, Bobby only had an eighth grade education. I didn't and know that. what really killed Bobby was he couldn't, he could barely read. And then they, they threw these, you know, 10 pages of, of uh, interviews at him at the uh, end and he couldn't do it. He says, please just let me go out there. Yeah. You know? And, and he was so, so uh, frustrated by that. Yeah. And he and I were very close. Matter of fact, uh, we'd get together when my wife and I, we'd been going to Florida for 45 years down by Venice and, uh-huh. and he had a beautiful place off of Bradington. And beautiful. I mean, the pool went into the house and it was just gorgeous. Oh, wow. And his, um, his daughter uh, had a, a horse and everything. And, and uh, we, we'd go there and, you know, we couldn't really socialize out in public, but yeah. he was just wonderful. I mean, you know, I got to tell you a quick story. Please. So we're up at the Indian Reservation, uh, at Red Lake Indian Reservation, and we're and the heels and the baby faces. Vern has taken us, all of us, there's about 14 of us, and we're going to go fishing at Lake of the Woods across the border. So we got two or three motorhomes. So I'm working with Bobby Duncombe in, in a match in Red Lake Indian Reservation, and these poor Native Americans were watching our match, and you could hear a cricket. You know, and we're, we're, do, we're doing everything. I mean, we're trying everything and, and nobody was buying nothing, you know? Yeah. So all of a sudden, Bobby Heenan's got my head over the rope and he's choking me. And as the referee pushes Bobby Duncan back, Bobby Heenan's sitting there and he's got a big glass of Coke and he looks at me, he throws the Coke in my face and he oh. says, he says, I can't take any more of this boring match. I'm going back to the locker room. And he, and he left. And I was furious. I had cold, cold all over my face and dripping. And we had to go another 10 minutes. And I, I come into the locker room and he starts laughing. I said, you son of a bee. Ah, Jimmy, he says, he says, that's the biggest reaction we got out of the crowd. And I said, yeah, at my expense. <laughs> That's great. I, I've heard a lot of good things about. I mean, I tell you what, when I was a kid, him and Nick Bockwinkle, I just, oh, oh God, they would just. And that's what they did, though. That's what was their job. But boy, they get me so upset. My grandma would be like, "Brian, it's fine," you know, and <laughs> I'd be like, "Man, that Nick, he's so mean, and he talks down to people." And Bobby, and yeah, it, I mean, they did their job. Uh, yeah. They, well, they Nick were. was Nick was probably one of the top three or four workers in the business. Period. Yeah. I mean, he was just so. Uh, I mean, he had the total package. He had the looks. He could work. He was incredible, yeah. and he could do the interviews. And he, you know, humanoid, eight yeah. to five lifers, and and whatever. And and uh, it was sad because at the end, you know, he had Alzheimer's, and he'd call me a couple times. And, in the same day and forget he called and, yeah. you know, he was, uh, and, and, and then he had Ray Stevens who was yeah. another brilliant guy. God started when he was 15 years old and um, uh, there's a joke and I don't know if I'll tell you this, but All right. he Go said, for it. Jim, he says, Jimmy, he says, uh, 
did I ever tell you about the first time I got laid? And I said, no. And he says, yeah, I was 14. And I said, no, how was it? And he says, I was too drunk to remember. <laughs> that was Ray Stevens. Yeah, I heard he liked to, he liked to party. Oh, God. He, was, he could be drunker in hell. And two hours later, he could do an hour Broadway. And he just, he would, you know, you could read, he could smell the vodka out of his mouth, but he just, boom, 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 yeah. boom, you know, and he smoked like a, uh, but he never got tired. God, he was just so incredible in the ring. He was such a natural. Yeah. Jeez. Wow. Very nice. good. Let's talk about some broadcasters. Uh, I know you were around like Mean Gene. Yep. Uh, Marty O'Neill. Yep. Uh, Roger Kent. What, what, what's your uh, take on, I mean, from, let's say in the AWA when you were there and then when you went to the WWE, did you see a, a, a difference better, worse, the same or? Well, Gene Okerlund was the very best. Yeah. I mean, Marty O'Neill set the stage and then uh, Roger Kent did, he filled in and he had that illustrious voice, you know, that deep voice, but yeah. Gene Okerlund was, was he, he tied the whole thing together. I mean, he yeah. was spectacular. Yeah. I mean, I was so privileged to, to have Bobby Heenan and then at the same time, Gene Okerlund and then Nick Bach and all these other guys. And, and, you know, when they went to the, when we went to the WWE, Brian, yeah. I, they do interviews, you know, 12 hours and, yeah. and Gene Okerlund, I mean, and then nothing was written down and yeah. Gene Okerlund had come and he just bang. And yeah. he just was incredible. And he could sense when things weren't working well and he'd, he'd help. He was so good. Yeah. He, he, he was, he was a genius. And then the, I remember we'd see him. He, he lived in Siesta Key in Sarasota and we'd go down and see him. And uh, uh, at the end he had some real, some ongoing problems with uh, water retention and then, you know, and uh and it was, uh, I, and I'll, I'll tell you this too. I, I went to his funeral and there was 14 people there. What? That's it. They, no, none of the, none of the big weeks from WWE were there. Vince wasn't there. Hulk wasn't there. Nobody was there. And I was furious. And it oh was, the, there was only three or four wrestlers. There was Brian Blair, myself. And, uh, and the same thing happened to Bobby too. Nobody came. What? You know, and I said, uh, I made the comment to Brian Blair. I said, where the hell's all everybody? Yeah. So apparently Vince had called Jeannie um, Okerlund mm -hmm. uh, about four days before the funeral and said, Jeannie, don't worry about nothing. We'll I'm going to take care of everything. And she said to Vince, don't worry, you already have. Oh. So... He took that, so he just said nobody goes. Wow, that's I was that's I was terrible. Furious. That's terrible. Yeah, here you got the greatest manager of all time, and that and that freaking yeah, uh, that's that's terrible to hear. Um, yeah, you know what? I I got one little thing that I'm going to tell you, and it's it's a, a little bit um, political. Go for it. And, okay, here's the deal. I know this to be a fact, this will be true, that Donald Trump and Vince McMahon 
when they want water and hell, they're not going to get it. <laughs> That's the end of my commentary. Okay. <laughs> now, Brian, now, Brian Blair would say, oh, Jimmy, why did you say that? For God Almighty, our wrestling fans are Trump fans. Please don't say that. Jesus, God. Oh, it's all Brian right. Have you talked no. to Brian at all? No. Um, if, if you want to... If you could talk to him and I can reach out to him, I don't, I don't want to see when you guys, and I love it. Thank you for sending the emails out to me, you and Greg both. And I see the names on there, but I don't want to, I feel like if I reach out without asking yeah. or, or saying something that it's just impolite and rude. Cause you know, they probably get a bunch of mail from people that they never heard of. And I don't want to be that guy that is rude or, you know, and be, looks disrespectful. I don't, I don't do that. But well, if you say, if you tell I, I Brian, think, if you tell Brian, hey, this guy, if if he wouldn't mind, uh, would like to talk to you, I would more than happy to do it. Well, here's the deal: um, people like you, Brian, are so important to the revitalization of guys like me who've been out of wrestling and Greg, you know, for forty some years. I mean, yeah. you you keep you keep the the life the little spark burning, yeah. you know, because I remember, you know, people will come up to me. And they'll say, you know, they'll look at me and I say, oh boy, you know, and then they'll look at me and they'll come up and, you know, and, and the worst place this can happen is a bar, you know? Yeah. And I, I don't frequent bars anymore, but I used to, yeah. and I remember this one guy, he, he looked at me and he thought for sure he knew me, you know, so he came up to me and he said, he clipped his fingers and he says, he says, I know you, I know you. And I, and he says, but I can't picture. And I said, so I asked him, I says, were you in Stillwater State Prison in 1982? I was there for six years. And he looked at me and he turned away and he walked away. <laughs> so I didn't have to bother him, bother with him anymore. Oh, that's great. Oh, that's wonderful. No, you know, I started this because, I'll be honest, it was a hobby and I, and I reached out to Greg first. And, you know, I didn't, honestly, I didn't think he'd write back or he might take a couple of weeks to respond, but he was probably like in 10 minutes. And then when he said that he was going to talk to you, I was like, oh, my gosh, mm -hmm. that's great because you guys are one of my favorite tag teams. And, you know, I just wanted to keep the ball rolling with it. So, yeah, if if you want to reach out to Brian and if it's okay, you just let me know and I'll and I'll email him and ask him and stuff. But I just don't want to be rude. You know, you could, some yeah. guy emails you that you don't know and you're like, yeah, who's this guy? I ain't going to talk yeah, to him. Yeah, well, I appreciate that. And I think that the guys appreciate it when somebody, you know, sets – sets your name up, you know, as mm -hmm. have done, you know, done a podcast with me or Greg or something like that. And, and you'd be surprised um, uh, how much it means to us, like I said, being out of the business for, you know, 30 years. Yeah. And then, you know, then all of a sudden you'll see a tick in my blurb account for, you know, Matlands, yeah. you know, the book being sold, you know, yeah. I'll sell 10 books you know, after a podcast, you know, yeah. and, and this adds up and, yeah, you know, oh, it's a great um, book too. And I'm going to put it on the bottom of my uh, description, your, uh, the website and uh, oh, thank the book you. and everything. So, yeah, yeah, I mean, you know, well, you know, it's funny because some guys write books, but they don't write the book. They have ghostwriters. I wrote every word of that yeah. book by myself yeah. and we had it, you know, uh, edited. My wife did all the typing, put everything together. We had the, 
you know, that, that god dang master or whatever they call it, uh, the big god dang thing was about this thick. And, you know, <laughs> when I when I first got it, we had one hardbound. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, I was trying to find somebody that could publish it, you know, because yeah. it's hard to find somebody to publish your book if because they, they want money. Yeah. And then many of the guys, you know, will have a ghostwriter and then that's incorporated and then they don't, they get it, you know, two bucks out of the sale. Right. So this way it, it works out good. And, and, and I've, uh, I've actually, I, Brian, I've had people stop at my driveway in a mm-hmm. car and they'll see me out in the yard and say, you got any books with you? <laughs> <laughs> I sold two, yes, two yesterday. You know? it, it's a great book. It really is. It's yeah. really simple. It's down to earth. It's not, you know, it's a, it's, it, it flows well. It, it, you know, I read it, I read it in two days, if that tells yep. you anything. That's how, how interested I was in the book. Well, um, I, I just, you know, I, I, I wanted to make it easy to read yeah. and with the pictures and the you, stories. You did. And, you know, a lot of people, a lot of people say, well, why didn't you do this? And why didn't you no. add that? And I say, I don't want to do that. No. I mean, I would never infringe on anybody, no. you know, saying something that, yeah. It might be true, but at the same time, casting a bad light on somebody. So, yep. you know, no, it's and, a great book. It really yeah, is. I sent I, I sent two of them to Bruce Springsteen. I don't know if he ever got them. My, my main man. Oh, uh, I I read about him in your book. Let's yeah. talk about him a little bit since we're on the subject. You met <laughs> well, him. Yeah, God, he was, and that was like a dream come true. In that, um, like I tell in the book, I. I was coming home late on a, a plane ride and I was listening to music. It was two o'clock in the morning and I heard the song and I thought, God, who the hell was that? Mm-hmm. And it was an operatic. It was Jungle Land by Bruce and they didn't tell the name. So I told my wife the next morning, I said, geez, I heard this doggone song. It was incredible. So that two days later I heard, you know, Bruce Springsteen, blah, 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 you know. So I went out and got all of his albums. Yeah. And I started listening to him all the time and it told my wife nuts. So <laughs> he, he he was supposed to play in a celebrity uh, softball tournament mm-hmm. the same day that I got hurt. Oh. And he was, he was supposed to be there with his crew. Yeah. Well, his crew came, he didn't come. He was doing sound check and we, we beat the snot out of that team. I mean, <laughs> they it stopped after about two innings. I think it was like 20 to nothing, but <laughs> To make a long story short, so I, I was wrestling uh, when Bruce came to town in 75, I was wrestling in Rockford, so I missed him. Uh-huh. And he was at the Guthrie Theater, which I heard was an excellent show. So to make a long story short, I, I saw him in 78. And then actually when he, the Born in the USA tour was started in St. Paul, mm-hmm. I had had so many uh, affiliates that knew me at the mm-hmm. St. Paul Civic Center that I just, you know, after the show, we had, we went to every show. It was three shows and we we're in the third row in the center. And I remember walking backstage in the cops. Hey, gentlemen. So a guy named Jim McDuffie, who was Bruce's uh, more or less handler then, mm-hmm. he comes out to me and he says, who are you with? And I said, well, I said, I'm a, pro wrestler from St. Paul. And I said, I'm a huge fan of Bruce. I said, is there any chance of me meeting him? Yeah. And he says, well, hang on. So all of a sudden, two minutes later, Bruce comes out and he's walking to me. And this president, um, his guy's name was uh, 
Yitnikoff, who was the president of CBS uh, Records. And he said, Bruce, we've been waiting for you for two hours. So he comes over to me and I introduce myself and tell him what a big fan I was. So he takes a picture with Mary and I. And then two weeks later, we saw him in Chicago. So I gave him the pic a picture and I signed it to him. And then I had some wrestling pictures. So yeah. we wound up, I, I've seen, I don't know how many times, 80 times, but we've probably been backstage, um, I don't know, 15 to 20. And, wow. you know, he's he's just, he's such a, a breath of fresh air, you know, mm -hmm. because he he's so down to earth. Yeah. You know, you wouldn't believe that he's almost a billionaire. You know, yeah. I mean, he... I'm so sure he lives kind of, good. Yeah. He told me, he told me, he says, you know, we live good. <laughs> it's called Thrill Hill. That's the name of his little production company. Okay. <laughs> and um, he says, yeah, we live, we live pretty good on at Thrill Hill. And I can imagine. So, yeah. but it's just been, you know, uh, that's been the highlight of my wrestling career was meeting, you know, how many people can say they meet their hero? Yeah. Yeah. No. Exactly. Yeah, I'm with you. Know, you. I tried to meet Elvis, but you know, I was seven, eight years old and stood at his gated deal, and, and his uncle or cousin says, "Elvis isn't here." And I said, "And and, and I, th I thought, well, why are a hundred people waiting here then?" <laughs> <You know? laughs> yeah, that's well, that's great. I'm glad you. I mean, in the book, you talk about meeting him and and. And it's, it's, it's great. So let's talk about some big cards you were in, you know, you were, uh, WrestleMania, uh, were you in, I can't remember if you were in uh super Sunday, the big AWA event back in 83. Nope. No, you were not. Okay. No, it, it, super Sunday, I think was after I left, I think it was 85. Okay. Okay. Because I, I missed a couple big shots there okay. that they had at the Metrodome and they yeah. had another one, but you know, here's the problem, Brian, it was, you know, once Hulk left and then once Bobby left and once mm -hmm. Gene left and, you know, I'm, I'm sure Jesse thought that he, when he left, he collapsed the AWA, but yeah. it was far from that. Yeah. But it just, you couldn't make any money. They, they weren't drawing. And at that time I had my own business. I yeah. had jump in Jim Brunzel's gym and I needed, I needed revenue from wrestling. And at that time, and I, I make this pretty apparent in the, in the book, when I went up to Vernon said, Vern, I need a personal guarantee, you know, 95 grand, which I thought was reasonable yeah. seeing that he and or Greg and I had been teammates for 10 years. Right. And Vern, and Vern says, you're not worth it. That's what he said to me. Right. Yeah. Eye to eye. And it just crushed me. Yeah. I just thought, God. So I left. Yeah. And what now working in W I, in the book, you talk about working in there. Some, uh, if you want to elaborate, I know uh, from what I understand in the book, you and, Vince McMahon didn't see eye to eye on things. And um, well, so if you want to elaborate, I mean, I don't, I don't want yeah. to get too deep well, into it if you don't want to. The, the first thing is that um, <laughs> when I was leaving the AWA, Greg signed a contract with LGN toys to have high flyer dolls made up and he signed my name on it. Yeah. So knowing that I was going to leave. So mm -hmm. I didn't know that. So when I go to the WWE or WWF, and they're going to put the killer bees together and they're going to make dolls, action figures. And all of a sudden this LGN high flyer doll comes up and Vern says to me, what, what, what's this? You know, and he shows me this package. I said, I don't know anything about it. So what had happened was Greg 
and everybody who signed with LGN got $12,500 to sign up against, you know, future royalty. So because I had signed a contract with Vince, he took the 12500 himself. <laughs> and I said, hey, I said, that's my money. Yeah. So I sued him and we got the money. So that was in the first three weeks I worked for him. So he didn't like me at all from oh, there. Wow. So, and see, Brian didn't even know about that until we got fired, you know, in 80, or when, when we left in 88, he didn't even know that, that he said, why didn't you tell me? And I says, Brian, it wasn't any of your business. Yeah. You know, yeah. I mean, you know. Do you think that's why you guys never got the opportunity to, to hold the, the tag team titles in WWE just because of the animosity? Because you guys were great. I mean, you guys yeah. were awesome. Well, we had we, we had something that nobody else had, and we were using a gil, a, a, a heel gimmick with the mask right. to beat the heels. Nobody had ever done that, yeah. and and it and it went over a oh, yeah. over like son of a gun. But the the problem was, Vince didn't like me, and he didn't like Brian. Period. Both, and 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 that's the truth. Well, and I, I just don't understand if he didn't like you, why did he? keep you for three years i mean because well he knew yeah well he knew we fit into the package yeah you know we fit in you know we could work with anybody and and we did and he just he you know he was ah, he he was hard to deal with in that uh, uh one time i was talking to hulk and i said to him you know about vince and vince's you know he's had a lot of shit come down on him you know, throughout the years, yeah, different stuff that's that's really questionable. Yeah, and I and I asked Terry. I said, Terry, I says, I said, what what, what what's this, Vince? I says, all this stuff, you know, that's come out, and is you know, is it? And he told me, he said, Jim, he said, Vince McMahon is capable of anything and everything. That's all he said. And that's all he had to say. Yeah. So, and I, I, you know, I, I had an idea at the end. I said, Vince, I got a great idea. I says, why don't I do an interview? Uh, you come out and, and say something to me and let me beat the shit. <laughs> and you can beat me in the ring. And he said, no, I don't think that'll happen, Jim. <laughs> he knew that I was, you know, I'd say, who yeah, beat the shit out of you. And then I'm gone, brother. Yeah. Wow. That is good. So you said earlier you worked with other promotions. I know you worked in the Mid-Atlantic, and you were actually yep. the Mid-Atlantic champion twice. Yep, yep. Um, but you said – now, Greg told me a story when you guys were down in uh, Atlanta with uh, Barnett. Yep. Uh, so what was it like working in the Mid- Mid-Atlantic when you were the champ? And, I mean, I've heard horror stories about paying and stuff like that and different – Well, lot, here's the deal. George, George Scott – was a booker down there mm-hmm. and he we wrestled every single day yeah. sometimes twice on saturday and twice on sunday yeah and they weren't real you know the longest trip was um oh gosh richmond virginia which was like 210 miles or 220 miles but the problem was uh he, he worked you to death and yeah. then i remember I, I worked a deal with Cosro and, and Iron Sheik, and he beat mm-hmm. me for the Mid-Atlantic Heavyweight Championship. So mm-hmm. we're having a return match, and 
before the return match, I had a match with him on TV and I wound up getting a sleeper on him, putting him out and then taking off his boot, grabbing his boot. And I, you know, I'm making these interviews with his boot for the towns I'm going to be in. So the first town is Roanoke, Virginia, three o'clock the next week. So I'm, that's the main event. And they had a great house there in Roanoke. So I'm wrestling Cosro and I got the boot on and um, Sandy, uh, Sandy, George, George's brother um, says to me, did you get the finish? And I said, no, I said, George didn't mention anything. And Sandy says, well, you're, you're going to do an hour Broadway. I said, what? He said, hour Broadway. I said, you might as well dig a hole right in the middle of the ring and bury Jim Brunzel because if I can't beat Cosro with this gimmick boot, what else is there? And I was furious. Yeah. And so we did an hour Broadway and it was like pulling teeth. And then that night I had to go to Charlotte and do 45 minutes with him. Oh no. So yeah. The same oh, night. And wow. then he wound up getting disqualified or something or running out. But so then we we had this uh, Franklin, North Carolina, and it was a native American place and the, you know, it was just a spot show. So he says, Sandy Scott says, well, the finish is our draw, you know, in a spot show, our draw. So we're wrestling the match and, all, and you know, Cosmo does something. He said, Oh, my back, my back. I says, what's the matter? He said, I hurt my back. So we wound up going about 40 minutes and then he got disqualified. Yeah. So the next day I get a call from George Scott and he says, come on in. I need to talk to you. So as I'm walking in, I see Cosro leaving. So um, I said to George, what's the matter? And he says, well, you know, I told you to do a Broadway. And I said, yeah, but Cos, you know, hurt his back. And that, that's why we went early. And he says, no, Cos said he didn't hurt his back. <gasps> oh, no. So he oh, fired my goodness. Oh, my gosh. Fired me. Yeah. Wow. And then, then when I went to New York, George Scott was a booker. So I said to him, I says, oh, Christ. He says, don't worry, Jim, we're starting on a fresh page. Yeah. Yeah, I, like I said earlier, I could not believe that you and, and uh, B. Brian Blair did not ever hold the tag team titles, at least for a short period of time. Uh, you guys were amazing. I, yeah, I just was – I was trying to remember if you did or not, and I look back. I look yeah. back, and it's yeah. It's. We our our first match we had, I think, with the Mass was in Buffalo, New York. It was on TV, and we wound up beating the Hearts, and the people went crazy. Ah, they went crazy, yeah. and then little did we know, yeah, they they were going to take the belts away because we put the Mass on or whatever. And I mean, the people went nuts, and I thought, God, this is going to be, you know, it's going to get over. Yeah, and. And then what Vince did during the course of the next couple of years, he did everything to diminish the value of the mass. There was an eight-man tag. This is the honest to gospel truth. It was in Lake Placid, New York. And it was George the Animal Steel, Coco Beware, Brian, and myself. And at the end of the match, all four of us had killer bee masks on. <laughs> and it was... I, I looked at Brian and I says, 
that's it, Brian. I said, the killer bees are dead. Yeah. And yeah. then shortly thereafter, I mean, I, you know, it was just Vince's way of, you know. Doing but, things. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Now when Brian, when, if Brian should see this um, podcast, you'll see, geez, why do you say those bad things about Vince? Because <laughs> they're true. <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't doubt it. I mean, um, yeah, he's the, uh, is he still the president of the Cauliflower Alley Club? Yes, he is. Okay. Yeah, I, I read that. Um, I try to read up on you guys as best I can to come in with a, you know, kind of knowing how you guys are. And, and uh, because I, like I said, as a kid, I just loved you guys. I mean, you guys just, you're the, what I consider the trailblazers of, of the business for today. I mean, you guys did not, you didn't make nearly the the money that these guys make now. I mean, not even close. Oh. If I'm wrong, tell me I'm wrong. But no. Say. Well, I got to tell you, we're in New York. This was the last time we were together, and this was in March, 6th, 7th, and 8th. Uh, we had to do Long Island, Queens, and then we had to go way up um, to Albany. Uh, so it's funny because we're doing a podcast at night, and this guy is asking us about, you know, the fact that we work, you know, you know, 27 days a month, average mm-hmm. for three and a half years. Yeah. And, and he asked Brian, he says, well, how much money did you make? And Brian says, 250000 And I almost fell off the chair because we never made 250000 We made 105000 yeah. And he, 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 he said two fifty, And I thought, what in the world are you doing? You know, so I said to him, and he sort of ignored me after that. I said, "Why? Why would you tell him two hundred fifty thousand? Yeah, you know." But it is what it is. It is what it is. Wow. So he's going he's, he's to find out now because when they, if they ever go to book us again, you know, as the killer bees, I'm asking twenty five hundred dollars. <laughs> period. Right. That's right. There and you, you know. know what? I won't get any. <laughs> And neither will he. <laughs> so, Jim, did you do anything else in the business besides wrestling? Did you do any booking nope. or no, nothing? There was some time that I offered my, you know, years of, and I, and I got along good with the fellows. And, you know, I got along with the management there, except for Vince. Right. You know, <laughs> and that's the most important. So, yeah. you know, I, I just wouldn't kiss his ass. And um, I never did get, you know, any, any opportunity. And, you know, some of the guys like Steamboat and a couple other guys wound up being agents like for 25 years. Yeah. You know, I mean, they still traveled, but I mean, they made good money. Yeah. You know, and I, I think even at the end, they might even had some benefits. Yeah. You know, which, which we never had, you know, I mean, right. you, you never had a benefit, you know, and you never knew what you're going to make. Yeah. Never. Yeah. And then, and then, you know, I don't know, Brian and I sued Vince and won because uh, on a royalty deal, this contract, outside revenue, we, we signed this contract, we were supposed to get 25% of outside revenue, which was a great price. Yeah, yeah. What they found out through the lawsuit, Vince paid us 8% of the net. Oh. So he, he owed literally. Yeah hundreds of thousands of dollars yeah. to the talent. Yeah. And that was, that was really the, well, that this happened, you know, 10, 15 years ago. And, you know, we had to, uh, 
part of the deal was that we wouldn't ask for any royalties, you know, that were due us. Right. And, you know, I, I, I just talked to Patera the other day and I says, what, what was your last royalty check? And he says, ah, it was $2 and 50 cents. I got it four months ago. Oh my gosh. $2 and 50 cents. Yeah. Yeah. I just, yeah, I, that's just, that's, too bad. I mean, it's it's sad that because uh, you guys, I know those figures uh, sell. If they brought, oh, if yeah. if they even brought them, I mean, they probably don't sell them too much anymore. I don't know, but you know, if they brought back a let's say a, I don't know, golden age era of wrestling, the seventies and eighties, and you guys, they featured you guys, you know, licensing and all that stuff, and they said twenty five percent, they'd make a killing. Oh, I, I know they would. Well, I, I know that um, we were told by our lawyers that all the guys should have gotten, at the very least, over a quarter of a million dollars on yeah. royalties, yeah, just I mean, for the dolls. Yeah. And yeah. I think we got about twelve to 15000 Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's too bad. That's how, that's how the rich get richer. Apparently, yeah. Yeah. I'm sorry to hear that. That's just, it's, uh, well, that's part of the crazy yeah. world of wrestling. Yeah. We, uh, we already kind of touched on this a little bit, but, um, uh, talk about the difference from when you started to today in wrestling, obviously more scripted. Do you think the talent is as prepared as you were? when you came, let's say they were to wrestling school or wrestling performance center, wherever, and they get, get on the main roster. Do you think they're prepared like you were? Well, they're prepared as far as they've been uh, taught. Okay. You know, they've, they've gone through a series, you know, uh, but here's, here's the main thing, Brian, is, when I started, there was 26 different territories you could wrestle in in this mm-hmm. country. Yep. You know, and that was all over. And guys, guys would go to California and spend two years, and then they go to Oregon and spend two years, and go to Oklahoma and spend two years in Texas, and and that's what guys did. And then mm-hmm. when Vince consolidated everything, there was no place else to work. Yeah, you couldn't. I mean, you have your indies here and your indies there, but you can't make a living doing that. You know, no, no. so Vince was the only game in town. Yeah. So consequently there's, there's a lot of talent yeah. uh, probably out there, but they're conformed to uh, address their talent in the way that the WWE is subjecting them to. So if they don't conform to that, they ain't going anywhere. I know yeah. a guy, he played football at Minnesota. His name was Mike Rollis and he's, uh, I'm trying to think of the name he's in. He's been down at that, uh, whatever it is, that training deal down in Florida for five or six years already. Yeah, that's, and yeah. He, and I'm, I'm trying to think of his. NXT, is that what you're talking about? Yeah, I'm yeah. trying to think of his name now. Uh, Roe or Bet, Bet, Min, something Roe, M. Roe or something, I don't know. But the fact that, you know, he's been struggling for six years. Yeah. I mean, you know, you look at the, you, you look and say, Oh, even though, you know, they're paying those guys like 85 to 95 grand a year. 
Yeah. You know, to be in NXT, which is that's a hell of a living. You can't yeah. find a you can't find a job that make that much now. You know. No. No, no you're right. It's uh. I'm showing a couple podcasts. <laughs> Not this one. I can tell you that. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I know you are. Uh, yeah. Ridrick. I mean, Ridrick. Ridrick. That's the guy. Oh, yeah. okay, okay, yeah. Okay, yeah. I've heard of him. Yeah, I've yeah heard nice, of him. nice looking, good body, 245. Yeah, I've heard you know. of him. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, but five or six years, geez, if you don't make it in five or well, six years. Yeah. yeah I mean, I it's like, hope he saved his money. Right. I don't know if you ever heard of Eric Young. Have you ever heard of him? Yes. Okay, well, he was in uh, TNA. I'm just going off story here a little bit. For, and he was a world champion there for a while and tag team and all that. Then he went to WWE and he was stuck in NXT for five years, five or six. I think it was, he finally uh, went back to uh, what's called impact now impact mm-hmm. wrestling. And he did an interview uh, probably a month ago uh, saying that basically uh, he, you know, he, he was a major star before, and then they kind of just put him in the mid-card stuff. And he said they, that that organization pretty much kind of lacked leadership in his eyes because the only person I've ever seen that went from Impact or somebody like that to WWE that went on to the main roster was AJ Styles and Robert Roode. The rest of them, most of the time, and Drew McIntyre, I'll take that back. Yeah, mm-hmm. The rest of them are, are stuck in NXT land, and I don't know why. I don't know if it's like a, a, a rib saying, yeah, you're here now, but you're going to stay down here. You're not going to get on the main roster. I mean, yeah, you're making 85, 90 grand, like you said, but money isn't everything, at least not in my eyes. I mean, you got to enjoy what you're doing, too. And maybe they do. Maybe they want to be at that level. I'm not sure. Well, those guys are all chasing the dream. They want to be big stars on TV. Wow. That's their main deal. I mean, yeah. that's it. I want to be on W. You know, I want to be on Raw. I want to be on. You know, mm-hmm. yeah. And you know, I, uh, the fact that you know they're making a decent living, I guess, is some compensation. But the the fact that if they're down there five years or six years, the likelihood of them getting a good spot in the WWE is not very likely. Right. You know, if something happens, you know, but, it, it, you know, who knows? Yeah. I'm just hoping some more of these organizations start popping up. Like, you know, we have AEW now. And, yep. Well, uh, that guy, that con has got, he's worth like five or $6 billion. Right. He's got and, more uh, money than Vince. Right. But, then, you know, it's funny. I was always hoping that they they would do well. But when I watched their presentation, it looks like the WWE. I thought, do something different for God's sakes. That's, Yeah. Yeah. I mean, well, I, they, got Cody, they got, you know, Cody uh, Rhodes and they got yeah. Jericho. Yeah. Well, I, I met Jericho when he was first starting. I don't know how many years ago that yeah. was. But Jericho was a good kid. I mean, he was a good yeah. worker, everything. He could do everything, you know, yeah. from Winnipeg. Yeah. And it's just, I don't know. You know, these guys said, um, and, and, you know, Greg, yeah. I think Greg really would love to have a job with the WWE. If, if he could have a job, I know he calls – uh, what's her name? Um, Stephanie. Uh, the daughter. Yeah, the yeah. daughter. Yeah. Um, and I, I, I just, I just cannot imagine because you know, Vince hated Vern. Yep. Because he was competition, and yep. 
he would he would never I, you know they worked great work for him for a little bit you know down sure. in wherever the hell it was georgia or something and you know in a training camp and 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 Greg booked the system. He booked the whole, you know, he, he bucked it. He kept on saying, well, that's not right. And he didn't play ball. And pretty soon they just lopped him off, you know? Yeah. 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 Um, he, yeah. He mentioned that he, he, uh, he talked about that a little bit and um, yeah, I, I, I feel bad for him because I think he, you know, Greg's a great guy. I mean, I talked oh, to him. He's a great well, he, guy. He, he knows the business. I mean, yeah, he, 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 and he, he knows the right way to, to, for the business to run, yeah. But there, there's nobody out there with open ears. Yeah, you know? no, you're, you're right. Absolutely. I, yeah, I agree with you. I think uh, they should bring back some of these old school guys and like yourself and and, and Greg and, and to to run or book whatever you want to call it, mm-hmm. uh, and see how it takes off. I think you know it's been a 30, 40 year hiatus of you know eye candy and uh you know the fundamentals you know i think yep. are, are lacking but well i was going to ask you this question but you kind of already answered it about the royalties so we won't get into that again i don't want to stir up any trouble with you <laughs> yeah that's okay <laughs> um your book uh i just want to talk about a little bit um how long did it take you to write it? Um, things of that nature. I, I've read it, like I said, uh, numerous times on this podcast. It's a great book. Um, you know, uh, well, talk to me about what gave you the idea to write it and, and how long it took well, and things of that nature. When we would socially get together with other couples, mm-hmm. you know, after a couple of glasses of wine or something, you know, I'd start talking about you know, wrestling stories. Mm-hmm. And a couple of my friends said, you know, you should write a book about this. So what I did was over a course of five years, mm-hmm. I would remember different stories that I thought would people would enjoy. So I wrote them down and wrote a little bit. And then I had, my wife got me this little dictaphone. So I'd talk into that. So finally it was, it was right, you know, 1915 or 2015. Mm-hmm to start this thing thing. So we started and then I compiled the pictures I have, you know, I have, Oh geez. We just went through 33 years at our house here yeah. of all the cleaning out of this loft in our garage. And I had, I don't know, I swear 10,000 pictures. Oh, I believe and it. And going through it and it brought back memories. And then, um, so we just sort of put that thing together. And then, like I said, we had it edited a couple of times and then boom, you know, yeah. and I was told by other people that wrote books that said, Hey, you're not going to be a millionaire, you know, and the only way that you can really do this is if, you know, somebody were to like the book and, and, and publish it and have it at Barnes and Nobles and then bring you around, you know, to all the cities and then you could sign at Barnes and Noble and, you know, but if I would have gone, I still could go with Barnes and Noble, but you cut your profit down, Brian. Yeah. About 50, 60%. Oh, wow. You know, ins- instead of making $10 a book, you're making like three fifty. Oh, you know, so why do it? Yeah. You know? Yeah. You'd have wow. to say, you know, if you sold 20,000 books, it'd be okay. But, yeah. you know, the, the chances are that you're not, you know. And yeah. um, I just, you know, happy with my book. And uh, now they have, um, I don't know if you're familiar with this, but 
that they have this squared circle comic book series. Okay. And yeah, I've seen it on uh, yeah the internet a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. So they just came out with our third. Uh, Brian had one. I had one, and then they have the Killer Bees third one. Okay. And they just had a Kickstarter, so uh, I think they need like uh, I don't know four thousand bucks, and I think in two days they got close to two grand. Oh wow! For it, so uh, I'm sort of looking forward to that. And it was funny though because when we went ahead with this, I told the guy, I said, you know, <clears throat> he he gave me a proposed um, cover of the comic, and it had me doing a flying elbow. And I said, John, I said, I do a drop kick. I said, yeah. the hell with the flying elbow. Yeah. So they make a special copy with the drop kick on it. And it's not, you have to pay extra to get it. Oh. And I said, I said, John, that is the one I want for yeah. God's sakes. Yeah. I said, I probably threw, you know, 10 flying elbows in, in you know, 25 years. Right. But I threw 10,000 drop kicks. I was going to say, yeah. 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 By the wow. way, I'm having my fourth procedure on my knee Wednesday oh. there. there. I've had, well, and then I, in January, I'm having my right shoulder replaced. So I have both shoulders, one hip and both knees. And my right knee, I'm having my fourth procedure on. They, oh they're goodness. doing what they call, it's 10X. And they, and they numb your knee up and then they go in with a ultrasonic needle and they chop up all the scar tissue and they suck it out. Uh, and then that's supposed to aid in healing and, and help blood flow. Yeah. Because I've had absolutely nothing but problems with this right knee. So wow. hopefully that'll be the, the trick. I'm sorry to hear that. I hope it goes well. I, you know, I don't Me know too. If, you know, Greg just had back surgery uh, yes. a month ago. And isn't it funny? It wasn't related to wrestling. I mean, he fell in the in parking lot of his, his you know, car lot <laughs> and had such... I mean, you know, this fifth surgery on. Yeah. Yeah. Jesus. It's too bad. It's, yeah. Uh, I know you guys, you know, when I was a kid, I remember saying, oh, people say, oh, that's fake and everything. I said, I, uh, those guys, you know, and then when I talked to you guys about it, you know, the going into the ropes, Greg told me, you know, that you, when you, your skin builds up to it because you're just cut to shreds basically when yeah. you're first doing it. Um, yeah, it's it's crazy. Well, it's it's like anything else. If you do something enough, mm-hmm. and and it, and like I would say, if you got up in the morning and stood up and felt flat on your back every morning for twenty years, mm-hmm. at the end of twenty years, you'd have some serious damage on your back. <laughs> yeah, that's 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 very true. That's very yeah. true. So, and I think I jumped. Yeah, I, I think the jumping and stopping and starting and stuff like that. Uh, played um a lot of wear and tear on my on, on both knees and and the yeah. fact that my drop kick when i come down i'd landed on my forearm and it served as a shock absorber and uh, it just absolutely completely ruined my shoulder yeah. the shoulder joint was just uh, nothing but mush so uh, wow also learned that you were uh, inducted in the national wrestling hall of fame in 2013 Yes. That's quite an honor. It was. Uh, I was very elated. Uh, I know Brian is disappointed, <laughs> as he should be, that we haven't been in the WWE. You know, for, yeah. I, I think that was just a, 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 
a deal, you know, a tweet by Vince, you know, because all of a sudden you're getting these guys like the Rock and Roll Express from Tennessee and Georgia getting right. put in the Hall of Fame, and then you know, not even you know, not us, and you know, people say, and then Brian said, "Well, you, you know, you shouldn't have started trying to say you needed a union, and you shouldn't have done this." And and I said, "Brian, it doesn't matter." Yeah, you know, but I I thought that you know if someday down the road they they should they say hey you know jim we want you you know we're going to induct you in the hall of fame and i said well i i'd like to do it both with the high flyers and the killer bees together yeah otherwise i ain't going to do it you know because my (laughs) wife said yes yes, i I, I heard her (laughs) (laughs) because she heard you got eight grand so (laughs) no i just can't you know that's what they pay you hillbilly jim told me that they paid they paid him eight thousand dollars round trip first class and a suite at the hotel. Oh wow! And and you know which is great. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But right now, you know, <laughs> it's very unlikely. I think that the killer bees or the high flyers will get inducted, but that's yeah. okay. Yeah, he don't like Greg either. I don't think too much. No, no, no. So tell us a little bit about that award. The Frank Gotch, I tried to look up what it, I know the, I know the, who the wrestler is, but yes. kind of the background of the award. What is it, what is it for? Well, I think it's, it's a combination of, you know, outside the ring, what you've done and inside the ring and, and uh, the affiliations you've done and, and what have you. It was, you know, it was nice. And they have a couple different awards there. And I think Brian got one, Brian Blair. Mm-hmm got one in 2016 same oh he got the wrestling one and and you know i've voted for greg you know a number of years and they just they won't get him in there yeah so and and you know it's hard to be the son of a promoter you know yeah oh yeah i mean that's And, and and that was a horrible you know you look at uh Mike Graham being the son of Eddie Graham. And then you have, you know, yeah. Greg being the you know son of Vern. And then you have the Von Erics from, you know, Fritz Von Erich. And, and it's just, you know, th- those, those fathers mm-hmm. uh, built such a animosity against the family, yeah. you know, just yeah. from being I, who they were. Yeah. You know, it created a lot of hostilities and negative, you know, yeah. images of their offspring. So they just, yeah, you know, it's, and it's tough to be when like Vern was so good and, and Eddie and it's hard to oh God, be above or not above them, but at that level and try to get, yeah. I mean, there's only a few guys, Randy Orton. Yes. You know, he's great. Uh, he was a great, he was one of the top five. Yeah, Randy Michael. Orton, um, Jake I, Roberts too. I, yeah, Jake the Snake. Uh, yes, uh, it's it's just hard to compete with when you got, you know, your father is such a a legend, and exactly. you try to compete with that. Uh, it, it, it's hard. Um, yeah. So yeah. I couldn't even imagine it. So I don't have a famous parent, so I'm good. I'm. <laughs> You're a famous guy, so I'm sure. Well, your your son isn't in wrestling, but I'm sure when they say Jim Brunzel, oh, is your dad the wrestler? And he, yeah, yeah, and, yeah. Well, thank God that you know there's, you know, I, I've been like I said, I've been fortunate. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, Brian, you know, I had a blessed life, a great uh, family, great wife, great yeah. kids, you know, and, and that's all you can ask for. Yeah. I mean, I've, when the, in the book, you talk very highly of your wife, uh, Mary, yep. uh, your, your son, uh, Jim, the third, and he's a fil- film. Uh, yes. He does yeah, he's yeah. a great film festival and he, he critiques and he, mm-hmm. he's, you know, uh, managed two films for seven, eight years. And, yeah. Um, he just loves that business. And he, and he don't look that old. Well, he's 41. Is 40. he really? Yeah. Good he Lord. Said, yeah. He said that when he was like seven or eight years old, he said he was going to be a film critic. Well, <laughs> yeah. Well, and you have a daughter as well, correct? Yes. My daughter works, uh, she's, um, works for the school district. She's in charge of, of, um, the whole curriculum for the White Bear Lake school districts from oh, K wow. to 12. So she's got a lot of oh. stress on her this year. Well, yeah, especially this year with this virtual Oh stuff. God, it's horrible. Horrible. Yeah. 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 And then we have two, I have uh, two grandsons uh, uh, with Jenny and Chris, her husband. Mm-hmm. And my grandsons are in the picture that with Hulk, yep. yeah. um, Cal, and, and uh, uh, geez, Becca James. Excuse me. Thank you. That's all right. You know, after, after, <laughs> Brian, after a, a couple, uh, an hour or so, I, my mind is going. A I'm sorry. I don't mean to take up. No, the that's time. okay. Um, That's okay, but tell tell your wife, Mary, if you can hear me, I'm sorry. I don't mean to take up too much of his time. <laughs> he apologized for taking up too much of my time. <laughs> he says no. Uh, well, so, I appreciate it. Yeah. Yeah. So, so uh, one more question. Uh, okay. What are you doing now? What are you up to? Uh, are you still working uh, for that? Yes. Yes. I'm working for a janitorial sales company. I've been doing this 21 years now and the, and the company is called Delco Enterprises. Okay. And they're located in uh, New Brighton, which is a suburb of St. Paul, Minneapolis. And we have five branches in this company uh, did $76 million last year. So oh my it's a, it's a big company. And yeah. right now in the middle of this pandemic, um, you know, being in the business of, of supplying sanitizer and disinfectants and, uh, different, uh, trigger sprayers and bottles and, uh, electrostatic disinfectant units. Uh, we had a six million dollar back order month in August. Oh wow! Six million dollars that we weren't able to fill because of the supply chain. Yeah. So, wow. it, it's 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 been sort of hit hit or miss. And I again, I'm fortunate. Uh, they hired me. Uh, um, the general manager was a collegiate wrestler at Wyoming, mm-hmm. and uh, I interviewed with them. You know, 21 years ago. And uh, the clear blue sky, the fellow with him, who was sort of my mentor, asked me a question. He says, Jim, can I ask you a question? I said, sure. He says, how did it feel when you went out in the ring in front of all those people and wrestled in your underwear? (laughs) (laughs) And I looked at him, and then my boss says, you're hired. So That's great. Yeah. So I've been doing that. I, I figure maybe another year, and hopefully I'll be able to retire. Well, good for you. I, I am so happy. And um, we're going to close this out. I just want to thank you again for doing this. Uh, it's been an honor and a pleasure. And, uh, you know, I live, uh, if I ever pass through there, um, which I will here in a few months, uh, going to see my parents, my wife and I, 
Okay. Uh, if you guys are available, we'd love to maybe stop and have lunch with you and your wife or something sure. or whatever you want to do. So I, I'll, I get, I'll send you my, did I send you my telephone number? I don't have your telephone number, sir. I do have your, okay. your address. Whenever you get a chance, if you want yeah, to, I'll, I'll send you, you that. But okay. uh, it's, it's uh, been my pleasure, Brian. Uh, you do a nice job. Well, thank uh, you. Very personable. So I, I, you know, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it too. Thank you. I'm going to okay. cut it off at here and uh, thank you again. I really appreciate it, sir. Okay. All right. God bless. Thank you.